Hello, and welcome to The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series from United Church Homes. On this show, we look at what it means to age in America and in other places around the world with positive and empowering conversations that challenge, encourage, and inspire all to age with abundance. As a part of our Aging Innovators series, we're talking with Peter Caldez, President and CEO of the American Society on Aging, which is one of the largest convener groups on the subject of aging, not just in the U.S., but I think worldwide as well. Right, Peter? Maybe. Okay. Peter has been in his role since, yikes, March of 2020. Nothing at all happened in that month other than you getting this new position. And he has a long and successful career in the space, including his role as CEO of the South Florida Institute on Aging, as a senior executive at J.P. Morgan Chase, and as a senior economic policy advisor in the Obama White House. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first of all, would you please share more about your background and how did you find yourself in the world of aging? Well, it's definitely a non-traditional path. Um, I started my career as an international trade attorney uh, where I worked in uh, government and a large global law firm. And then I pivoted to work in public policy with a focus on economic development, as you mentioned, in Congress and the Obama administration. But then my husband moved us to South Florida about eight years ago, and I took my experience in philanthropy at JPMorgan Chase and really translated it into running a community-based organization that served older adults. So that's where I, I joke where I earned my bachelor's in aging uh, and then ended up uh, most recently at the American Society on Aging. Great. And can you share more about the American Society on Aging? I'm a member. I know how valuable and invaluable it's been for me. But what is it in your words and what are the priorities? Well, the ASA is the country's largest and maybe the world's largest association of diverse professionals in aging. So we're a club of aging influencers. Basically, everyone who helps, researches, works with, advocates for, or sells to older adults is a member of ASA. And we offer uh, educational programming, networking opportunities, professional development, and we advocate on behalf of its members. And we're focused on a bunch of issues, but uh, some of them are ageism and culture, uh, health and well-being, and social impact and innovation. So today, we're here to talk about spirituality and how, as we age, we may tend to ask ourselves different sorts of questions or become more receptive to different ideas around the topic. How have you seen this show up in your work, or have you at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's, let's start at the, at the end, or for some at the beginning, with death and dying, where spirituality and faith come up. So for example, in an article for ASA's Generations, which is our digital publication, we learn about how for some in the African-American community when facing end-of-life decisions, faith can both guide and conflict with some decision-making. Uh, in the context of substance use recovery, for example, we highlighted research that demonstrates being engaged in meaningful and worthwhile activities with family, community, spirituality, and culture are important for a number of cultures, but also in particular, Alaska Native elders and that can serve as protective factors against relapse. And, you know, I think generally speaking, ASA, as you know, Beth, has been really fortunate to have a long history of strong affinity groups tied to these issues. And they come together, share knowledge. Uh, so overall, our general mission here is to really flip the script from aging solely as a time of decline 
to a time that can also include generativity, uh, overcome bias we had in our younger years, embracing anti-racism, and really doubling down on what you just said, which is becoming more receptive to different ideas as you age. Yeah, absolutely. So what questions do you think that that puts into your head about how we frame um, how we grow and we are enriched as we age? Well, for me, I think it comes down to maybe three questions. Uh, first, how does culture inform our framing of how we age? For example, I have one view of aging informed by being Greek Orthodox, another by being raised in an American society, and yet another by being a, a member of the queer community, and they conflict. Um, why do we limit conversations about development and learning to younger people only? Um, and then I have to ask the question, particularly as we could be facing a recession, what role does capitalism play in all of this, shaping our sense of self and spirituality? You know, I think about the, the Protestant work ethic, about productivity versus notions of the old prone where you're sort of, you have wisdom, but you're outcast from society. Yeah, those, those, those all touch on it. And, and for me, I'm an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And, and so um, I, I think about most things through that theological pastoral lens. But um, one of the things that's become very apparent to me is that spirituality shouldn't just be left to, to those of us who are professionals, um, clergy, but it, it, it intersects, as you mentioned earlier, with so many other aspects of our lives and aging. You know, take, take, take for instance, the end of life issue. There was a study, I think it was from Harvard now several years ago, and they took a look at um, individuals who are approaching end of life decisions, and they compared those who had their their local pastors, their, their congregational support pastors um, who are with them on that journey and others who just made those decisions at end of life based on the care of the medical professionals. And those whose local church pastors were not involved, um, there, was a, there was a difference. Um, the medical professionals were, were providing advice and direction that was cheaper. It didn't cost as much. There weren't as many um, of tests tests going on, and they and they dove into it further. And you know, sometimes the the benefit of being a local church pastor is you know family systems, um, and you might know several generations of the same family, but that can interfere with the individual who is at the end of their life, and then the pastor's having to navigate. Um, the needs of that individual, but also the children and the grandchildren who are standing there who don't want to give up hope. And and um, so, yeah, all, all of the professionals who are involved need to have some understanding of of uh, what, what some of those spiritual issues are. And it's not just about end of life, but you had mentioned that as an example. And I just thought that's what came to mind as you were talking about. That. You're absolutely right, Beth. And, you know, I, I'm curious. I have some questions for you. Can I can I turn the table sure. and ask you a few questions? Sure. Sure. So what do, you, what do you think about um, why people or, or how people don't understand sort of the basic concepts of spirituality as we age? You know, are there tropes out there? Are there, is there sort of misinformation, if you will? Yeah, well, spirituality has to do with um, our understanding of how we're connected. Um, it has to do with our experience of and our connection to 
um, however we define or or imagine our creator um, or our the, the divinity God whatever language we want to use for that spirituality has to do with how we're connected to creation itself I mean we're part of you know, we, we literally, our lives are dependent upon the creation in which we live. Spirituality has to do with how we're connected to community. And, you know, aging is not a solo sport. We have to have community around us. And um, again, there, there, there are all kinds of uh, research, you've been around for a while, that say that people who, who go to church live longer. And it's not because they have some magic sauce or they're believing the right things. But I think it's because they're in community, um, they're talking about those connections, they're paying attention to those things, and and it, you know, it's not one particular belief system over another, but it, it's all of those things together. And then and then ultimately, um, spirituality has to do with how we understand ourselves and our place in 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 the midst of creation, in the midst of the, of community, and and so the religion are all of the rituals and the traditions that kind of inform how we understand those connections and how we express those. So I, I would imagine then that as you define spirituality, uh, you, you have all those elements you just walked us through, but then also it's, it's different from religion. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So again, religion has to do with, um, specific rituals. It has to do with specific traditions. Um, it has to do with specific um, theological understandings and, and groundings. And for, for many people, the, some of the trappings of organized religion having to do with the, you know, the belief systems that somebody's supposed to, you have to believe this, you can't believe that, have, have not served them well throughout their lives. For other people, organized religion has been um, very detrimental and and caused significant trauma. And, you know, I I, I think of there there are many folks in the queer community who have experienced a lot of trauma um, from the religious, the religions, the the organized religion that has been a part of their their background. Um, but But there are obviously people who identify as being queer who are deeply spiritual people and and you know one of the opportunities that we have is, is how do how how do we help people experience spirituality, um, deal with the trauma, help heal from the trauma, and and kind of then find a new way forward. And all of us continue to ask questions of meaning in in our lives. And you know a big buzzword in aging services has to do with um, meaning and purpose. You know, we know from the blue zones that one of the things that's common from all of those blue zones is in each of those cultures. Let me pause just in case people don't know. Blue zones are the what five or six areas in the world that have a higher proportion of individuals over the age of 90 and, and, and around um, centenarians. Um, and they've done some study. OK, what are the what's common about these? One of them is meaning and purpose. Um, in, in Japan, they call it ikigai. They know why they get out of bed in the morning. Meaning and purpose is connected to spirituality. There, there are very definite connections to um, our call. These are some of us will we'll talk about how, what we're called to do and be in the world. That's part of meaning and purpose, and it, and and it's specifically talking about our connection to the to our understanding of the creator, something larger than ourselves, 
that's involved in helping to lead us into those activities and, and into those beliefs. You, know, you mentioned aging services and the Blue Zones also taught us about not just purpose, but also diet and nutrition. And, uh, you know, selfishly, I have to share that being of Greek descent, I know mm-hmm. Greece is in one of those blue zones and the Mediterranean diet is, is well regarded. But just let's turn to aging services since you brought it up. I'm curious to see what you think is missing uh, from the provision of services today that could be addressed through topics like spirituality. It touches on everything, in, in my view, Peter. And, and part of that's because that's, you know, that's part of my training. But, you know, here in the state of Ohio, we have to do a survey of residents every time they're brought back into community. So when, they're, when they first move in, we do this. Um, if they have to leave and go to the hospital, when they come back, we have to do it again. And th- this is a set of questions asking about past traumas. So oftentimes the healing of past traumas are, are going to be connected to, to, to um, questions and, and to, to instances of understanding of their connection. You know, why did God allow me to, to experience this horrific thing or um, feeling of the trauma can perhaps have, has created separation for them from, from the rest of their community or feeling like they have to hide a part of themselves those are all spiritual. Those are all spiritual issues. Um, we we also know that as people age, they th- we think differently. We think more broadly. And I, I think of of one of my parishioners, Laura. Um, she came to Christianity um, when she was probably in her mid thirties when she got married for the first time, and um, it was her husband's tradition, and he had long um, since passed away. And, and in her 80s, she started asking very deep theological questions. She was questioning some of the, the tropes for the come out of Christianity from the mainline culture and saying, how can that be? What does this mean? And, and she, was, she was doing a, a deep dive, and she didn't even know it, about how, to, how do I live in the mystery? How do I live in unknowing? How do I embrace and how do I reconcile these differences between what I hear in the larger culture and my own experience and my own inner, inner connection to, to um, th- this, this deep mystery, this, this divine presence in my life? You know, as you're speaking, it, it strikes me that because the, the nature of who we serve in aging services are older adults who are many times asking these sorts of questions. I, I come at a similar, the similar topic from a different angle, which is supporting these organizations. Um, you know, so many of the aging service providers in this country are faith-based. Uh, and so often um, they need just as much funding to support uh, the work that they do as our non-faith-based uh, community organizations. So I wonder, I want to ask you, what do you think the impact is on basic needs, sort of funding levels, organizational support, supporting the community. Is there a difference between those organizations that are perhaps faith-based and not? Yes and no. <laughs> and, and the yes is um, kind of the reasons why we got into this in, in, in the first place. Um, and no, in that, I, you know, I believe that there are organizations that are not faith-based who, who, who do this from a similar 
point of wanting to provide care and protection for the most vulnerable in our society. And those of us who are faith-based may take that a, a little bit deeper and say um, that we understand that we're all a part of, of creation and we are all created in God's image regardless of our backgrounds or how we're believed. I think the faith-based organizations sometimes, sometimes, um, understand these things as justice issues, and 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 so we approach them um, from from that perspective as well. And as faith based organizations, which we are um, at United Church Homes, we don't shy away from the the difficult conversations. We don't shy away from um, talking about spirituality and and. It's not a hot topic issue. It's a very personal issue. And how do we meet people where they are? We're not telling people how to how to how to believe, or they have to believe one way or the other. But what is their journey? Meeting them on their journey and helping them find the resources and supporting them on that journey going forward. So, because I'm the CEO of the ASA, this wouldn't be an ASA themed uh, conversation if we didn't talk about best practices in service delivery. So what elements uh, would show up in a successful integration of spirituality into aging services? It, it is having access um, to, to pastoral care um, and trained professional pastoral care. Um, those individuals who are not proselytizing, but seriously meeting people where they are, wherever they are on that journey and, and providing them with the resources to do that. Providing opportunity and saying, we're not afraid to talk about these things, um, you know, you know, in, in the midst of, of the community and, and hopefully residents are contributing to what they'd like to see in community life. You know, if they want to talk about difficult issues, say, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about these issues. And again, just not assuming that everyone is on the same path. You know, just as it said, if you've seen one older adult, you've seen one older adult. That includes if you've seen one person on a spiritual path, you've seen one person on a spiritual path. Um, and 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 how do we make how do we make room for that? How do we honor that? And, and and it has to do with conversations in in regard to you know reconciliation perhaps with institutions or particularly friends or family for with whom folks have been separated for a long period of time, helping them to embrace um, mystery and yeah we don't know what's coming um, and and how do you feel about that and and. And, and helping individuals to express what they believe, and sometimes for the first time. You know, I know chaplains who, who um, have had long conversations with older adults about what they believe and have prepared, you know, for, for what they would like to have happen in celebration of their life once they're no longer here. And then having to deal with some pretty contentious situations with family members who are like, no, this is our family tradition. And it's like, Yes, that is your family tradition. And this person who we're celebrating, this is this is where they where they are, and this is what they have requested. Um, and those those can be really difficult conversations. Those are all great tips, and uh, I think for me, I can what I can take away from this conversation is is that uh, spirituality can act as a resource uh, when you yeah. when you look at it for, through the lens of the services that are being provided by faith-based organizations or even being inspired by them if you don't have them in your own community, uh, it could be a real resource. And um, I, I really appreciate you sharing those ideas. 
Well, and and spirituality isn't just for professionals. It's not just for faith-based communities, but you know, how how do the social workers identify when they're having a conversation that, oh, what we're talking about here, this this is a part of their their spiritual journey. And I may not have the resources to take them there, but just to just to kind of honor that. And as you mentioned earlier, the recognition of the cultural differences, because in, in a lot of cultures, they are grounded in in um, spiritual traditions. And, and so a large part of cultural humility training has to do with recognizing and honoring that piece of that culture. Tell me about it. I'm often reminded that we invented Christianity, which is a bit of a stretch, but uh, being Greek Orthodox, I'm particularly sensitive to traditions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as we come to our end of our conversation here, Peter, there are three questions which we like to ask everyone. Um, and we let you know what these were ahead of time. So you could do a little bit of thinking. We don't like to do things spur of the moment completely. So are you ready? Here's the first one. When you think about your own aging process, what do you think has changed about you or grown with you that you really like about your aging self? My hair loss. No, no, seriously, I really like it. Because look, it taught me early on not to worry about things I can't control. I can't control this. So uh, I've really enjoyed that process of aging. Absolutely. Aging is about change. And you're right. There are a lot of things we can't control. I love it. I love it. Okay, question number two. And I can tell you no one else has said that answer. So, and, and, and may never. So that is, that is definitely your answer. You haven't stole that from anyone right. else. Which, question number two, what has surprised you most about you as you have aged? I think that I remain curious that lifelong learning is valuable and that our brains, you know, shouldn't stop absorbing new information because we've left our school age years behind. So I've really enjoyed remaining curious. It comes up in different ways. But curiosity, for sure. Brilliant answer. And it's also connected to spirituality. You know, we, we never stop growing in, in, our, in our spiritual journey. And, and the, the way we grow is to continue to be curious. I would, have, I would have said that same answer as well. And finally, question number three, is there someone you've met or who has been in your life that has set a good example for you in aging? Someone that inspires you to age abundantly? That's easy. It's my maternal grandparents. Uh, they were my uh, role models for uh, aging abundantly. So my grandfather was a social butterfly. Every day he'd meet with his friends for coffee, walks. Uh, he'd know all his uh, small business owners in the neighborhood. He was like the mayor. Uh, my grandmother, she volunteered in assisted living facilities, uh, did crossword puzzles, and would read really difficult books constantly. In fact, she kept a dictionary near her bedside table and wrote down the definitions of words she didn't know while reading. So the two of them, hands down, are very much people who I think about when I'm now entering, you know, as I, as I age. And interestingly, I've learned through the ASA that those early influences by grandparents help inform so many of our ASA members' decisions to enter the field of aging. It's a constant. Absolutely. And I can see the connections. They taught you to be curious. <laughs> they taught you to be connected to community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, thank you and our listeners for listening to this episode of The Art of Aging, part of the Abundant Aging podcast series for United Church Homes. And we want to hear from you. What's changed about you as you've aged that you love? What has surprised you most? And how do you define abundant aging? And who is your abundant aging hero or influencer? Join us at AbundantAgingPodcast.com to share your ideas. You can also give us feedback when you visit the Ruth Frost Parker Center website at unitedchurchhomes.org backslash Parker dash center backslash. And Peter, where can people find you? Well, uh, the American Society on Aging, just Google it, or you can visit us at asaging.org to find out how to become a member, join a webinar, or even submit your idea to be part of our national conference, which is in March of 2024. And our digital journal, Generations, is available at generations.asaging.org. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. And I, I'll put in my two cents. My my participation in ASA has just been fantastic in these 10 years that I've been in aging services. I had one gerontology course as an undergraduate. I thought I was going to get an MSW in gerontology, and God laughed and sent me to seminary. Um, and, then, and then after I turned 50, God said, okay, now go do that gerontology thing. And so I feel like I've gotten my... my um, it may be not a master's in social work degree, but my master's in aging degree through ASA and the ongoing educational opportunities that you provide for us all, not only at the annual uh, meeting, but throughout the year. So thank you for all that you're doing. Well, thank you, Beth. Thank you for being a loyal member. <laughs>